Welcome to the Pete Primo Show. It is episode 116 or 117. I have lost track. So we are here with Dr. Andy Neely on how to build trust as a leader. Let me pay the bills first. First and foremost, let me thank you. Our thank our newest sponsor, the Match the Bedden Industries of America's Open House. It's on May 9th, May 10th, and May 11th in Akron, Ohio. Be there or be squared. Not only will we have 53 of the best-selling mattresses um, going, but we're going to have three speakers who are your fellow store owners. This is not pie in the sky. This will be uh, the best of the best in retail store owners. And those seminars will be absolutely free when you come to our Mattress Success Summit. And if you are not buying uh, flex heads or split heads, you are making a huge mistake. Don't sleep on the Mattress uh, Success Summit um, in just uh, three or four weeks. And if you haven't bought my book, what are you waiting for? Sell a million, 101 different strategies and techniques on how to sell another million dollars. And you know what? If you own a furniture store, a mattress store, that's who I wrote it for. I've had people in all kinds of retail business saying, Pete, this is just a great marketing book. Uh, I don't know why you wrote it the way you did. I wrote it the way I did because I've been 41 years in this industry and I love this industry. And I wrote it for store owners that need more ammunition and need more uh, focus to help them benefit. And without a further to do, let me thank Steve Hauk and the Facebook group, Mattress Industry Network. One of our, our longest uh, sponsors, Mattress Industry Network group is a great group, over 1,800 strong. It's 100% free. If you want to network with other people in the industry and learn from fellow store owners, learn what the best manufacturers are, um, how to build, market, sell, and succeed in the mattress industry, and just not being all alone because that's something that all store owners run into. Join the group. It's run by retailers for the benefit of the entire industry. We'd love to have you in the Mattress Industry Network group. Just scan that. Uh, QR code there and join at your convenience. And without a further to do, let me bring our guest in. Dr. Andy Neely is an expert on making managers into leaders. And he is a sought after leadership, um, speaker and workshop leader. Hey, guy, how are you? Guy and Kyle Danes from South Africa. Boy, this is going to be right up in your guys' wheelhouse. You guys love talking about management stuff and and leadership. Uh, uh, me and Andy already got going a little bit in the green room, so I think you guys are going to be in in for it. Not only so, I want to say this before we get started, Doctor Andy. Uh, not only a talented sales executive, but a leadership expert who leads workshops and speaks on leadership, but he owns his own retail businesses. And that is huge. 
That's what you guys are. My audience is store owners in the furniture and mattress industry, mostly, and a few other guys and gals that have come along the way. And I appreciate each and one of you. So we're going to get started. Andy, when, you know, when I think of leadership versus management, a lot of things pop into my mind. Can you kind of give me your definitions, uh, the differences between management and leadership? You know, when we were in the green room, Pete, a few minutes ago, you said, Andy, I'm going to kind of give you a softball right up front and have you define the difference between leadership and management. Uh, I hope you were kidding about that because people have been arguing about the difference between leadership and management since the first management book came out probably a hundred years ago. Um, the thing that I like to make sure the leaders I work with understand is it's not management versus leadership. In order for your audience, your listeners to be successful in their mattress store leadership, they've got to be good business managers. So I think if there is a, a way we can think about these together, maybe management is the what of doing well as a business leader and owner. Leadership is the who and why of doing well as a business uh, manager and owner. So they're not in opposition to one another. Any good leader has got to have strong management capabilities, the skills and behaviors that allow them to manage well. There are a lot of managers who have not yet developed the leadership necessities to lead well. And I, I think that's what you and I are going to spend our time talking about as we, as we dive into this hour together. Uh, the simple answer is there is no simple answer. They're, they're if, but they're not in opposition. Awesome. That's great. So let me ask you this. We often, um, a, a common pattern that I see is a really good salesperson um, becomes successful, saves their money, and they open up a small store. And that small store, because of how strong of a salesperson they are, it grows. And then they hire people. And they may or may not have been a manager before. So what would your advice be uh, for you know somebody who's super strong in sales and now they are kind of thrust into ownership and management and leadership yeah. all at once? What would your advice to them be? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. I, I, I think there's probably a couple of a couple things that allow that super successful in some respects. In fact, you might even say charismatic salesperson who, who was great at making their numbers quarter in and quarter out so good that they, they caught a bigger vision and all of that is great. And then, uh, and then some of those very things get in their way of being a good leader because if they were a top performer, Part of what they've got to learn is my job now, the, the thing I've got to be competent at now is making the people around me top performers. In fact, the, the whole irony of it is a lot of successful salespeople really struggle with making the transition into sales leadership positions because, because one of the lessons that we all have to learn is I go from being at the, the front of the line at the top of the pyramid to being at the back of the line in at the bottom of the pyramid. And, and the best days for an effective sales leader are when the customers and the clients around them don't even know them. 
anymore because they're serviced so well by the, the customer facing professionals that leader has put in front of him or her. That's great. So let me, let me, um, I want to unpack this just a little bit yeah. more. Yeah. Because we often hear about the failures. We hear about uh, superstar salespeople. They become managers, leaders, and they end up exiting out of the organization because they weren't given the proper support. In my estimation, right. you know, whenever there is um, additional responsibilities laid before someone, whether uh, you're starting at the very beginning and you're just a rookie salesperson to you're now a sales leader to now you're uh, the actual quote sales manager and responsible for the success of others, along with defining the additional responsibilities, I believe. And, and hey, feel free to argue with me because I would I I I I I, I, wel- I welcome this debate and I've had it often in 41 years, and, and and that is this: when you give somebody additional responsibility, it's incumbent on you as the leader of the entire business to provide education to yeah. help support that role, and also the additional metrics that they're going to be responsible for. You know, you, you mentioned something that I thought was so, so on point. As, as an individual producer, I have my quota to, to make. Right. And that's the only thing I have to worry about. Yeah. Now, as a leader, I have wh- however many, could be three, could be five, could be 10 salespeople. And now my job is to help them make their quota and exceed their quota. Yeah. And those are very different. Um, they're, 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 Different technically, but they're they're fundamentally, Doctor Andy, different emotionally, and I almost think there should be an emotional aptitude test to give a superstar salesperson to see if they have the internal workings to become yeah, yeah. a sales leader. You know, it's it's interesting you you mentioned that we all we all have taken these personality profiles, whether it's Myers Briggs or MBTI or Disc Finder, and and I think there is an arch typical kind of quadrant that is attributed to the the archetypical salesperson, that high D, high driver, I'm going to take the mountain, we're going to win the dominant personality. And as you pointed out, Pete, I'm not going to argue with you, I'm going to reinforce to challenge our listeners a little bit as, as we think about somebody becoming a more effective sales leader, it becomes more about subtle influence at this point. I still want to get to the top of the mountain, but now I want to get there with my team. And indeed, you know, I suspect you and I both could say my my best days were when I had a good sales team underneath me. And, and in some respect, my most profitable days because I bonused off of their bonuses. But you have to take that step back and be willing to say it is it is no longer me. Uh, it, it is them. And and so the, the very ego that drives effective salespeople, which I think is a good demonstration of strong ego, this isn't the egomaniac. This, this is just somebody who gets up every day and wants to win. If they don't balance that with recognizing the win has to be a larger win now, they end up struggling with some of the very things you and I are seeing in these challenging times. I mean, employee turnover 
is a challenge for everybody right now. And if you aren't finding ways to make your sales team win underneath you, if you continue to be the top dog, uh, man, there are greener pastures. There are just greener pastures for everybody. So I did a little bit of homework and I was really impressed by your uh, four C's of, of leadership. I'd like you to walk through those because I believe that it provides a framework that every one of our store owners, not only do they need to understand it, but they need to own it. They need to yeah. make it theirs. And, and there's a lot to do, but this provides the pillars that you need yeah. to tackle Good. this subject. So Dr. Andy, yeah. I want to let you kind of go on that and I might chime in and, and unpack well, something let me, at some point. Let me introduce them quickly, kind of right up front and then let you and me go deeper where we think our, our folks want us to go deeper. But, you know, Pete, like you, uh, this is not my first lap around the block. I've been thinking about what makes an effective manager, an effective sales manager, effective leader. I've been thinking about that for decades at this point. I've, I've had the privilege of interviewing scores of people like you. I've, I've stood in front of literally thousands and thousands of managers and leaders. I've got five million frequent flyer miles. Um, my dissertation studies were on the personal side of leading well. I'm just passionate about that. And as you and I laughed about 20 minutes ago in the green room, there, there's really nothing new in, in leadership. Marcus Aurelius and Jesus Christ. By the time you get to about 2000 years ago, everything that could be said about leadership had been said about leadership. As I tried to take a look at what were folks like you, Pete, and, and some of your listeners, the ones that were good, what were they doing that made them not just a manager, but an effective leader? And, and as you noted, my, my website is full of what I call the four leadership necessities. There's a simple approach to leadership. Simple doesn't mean easy, but what I've observed and researched and and tested in real life retail settings for the last 25 years now is if you, if you're going to be a manager who's transforming themselves into a high performing leader, first of all, you've got to have vision. You've, you've got to get your eyes up. What, what, what you and I called conviction in, in my template there of the four C's of leadership necessity. Your, your salespeople, your team members, your operational people, they live in today. They live in this week. We're at the start of the, the second quarter. They're thinking about their numbers for this month, maybe. But if you're going to be an effective leader, you're also thinking about Q3 and Q4 and 18 months from now and, and the dynamics in the industry. You've got a, a, a bigger vision than that. You're looking at P&Ls and balance sheets. You're, 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 you're building a plan so that you can rinse and repeat next year and next year and next year. You're, you're a person of, of conviction and, and, and passion about what you're doing. Uh, the second thing that I observed was this whole area that we've already started to touch on the area of leadership competence. You can't just, you can't just be dreamy eyed about the future. You, you, you've got to be able to demonstrate what needs to be done today. The ability to get your team to execute on what's in front of them is something that defines a high performing leader. Now, now here's the, the, uh, the, the challenge with execution is Executing um, the competence, the the things that leaders need to do well are different than the things that salespeople need to do well. Some of them are the same, but some of them vary. Sales leaders need to be able to to measure risk and to make decisions without all of the information they need to to take their their eye into the future and and implement it today. That whole area of 
competence. What got you here won't get you there. There's some lessons you and I have to learn if we're going to be effective leaders and not just managers. The, the third C, the third leadership necessity, Pete, is one that I could already see in your eyes resonates in your whole demeanor. And that's the, the character one. Patrick Lencioni said it a number of months, a number of years ago. Uh, people join organizations for the job. They leave because of their boss. Um, sales leader, organizational leader, fair-mindedness, honest, other-orientedness, a sense of balance. Are you a person rich in character? Are you the, are you the type of boss that somebody says, that's the best boss I ever worked for? Been interesting. I've been doing an exercise for more than 20 years now, and it's really a brainstorming exercise in front of audiences, small and large. I, I worked a week ago with 300 independent bankers, uh, here in the state of Texas where I live. And, and we just did this brainstorming decision about best boss they ever worked for. And they brainstormed together. And then I had them help me fill a flip chart behind me on stage of what were the attributes of the best boss. And then Pete, the interesting thing is when we got done with this brainstorming session, I turned to the flip chart and I said, all right, now the, the bullets that you had me capture up there, we're going to define these bullets with a W. If that primarily the best boss you worked for, if that was a, a characteristic of who they were, we're going to put a W in front of it. If it was primarily characteristic of what they did, we're going to put a D in front of it. This was an exercise that they raised organically. I simply captured their bullets up on my flip chart. And Pete, this was probably the hundredth time I've done this exercise over the last 20 years. The W's, who their boss was, always outweigh the D's, what their boss did. Character counts. You want to be the best boss you've ever been. People work for people they trust and respect. So, so conviction, competence, character. And then Pete, the, the last one I struggled with. In fact, you've got a couple of my videos up here. Your producer is very fast on his feet. Uh, if you go back and look at my historical interviews over the years, I've struggled with what, what was I observing? I called it communication. I called it consistency. And then about two years ago, I realized the other thing that you and I do if we're good leaders, we engage in, in kind of an old fashioned word, but it's a word that needs to be brought into 2023, particularly because of these challenging times. And that's the word covenant. Because here's, here's what I mean by the word covenant. I live in the state of Texas. And if somebody gets married in the state of Texas, obviously there's the love and affection. There's the I do's. There's the, the kiss looking each other deeply in the eye of these lifetime commitments. There's, there's a personal side of the marriage vows. There's also a legal document that's signed by the officiant and recorded at the Secretary of State. There's both a, a personal side, but there's also a formal side to leadership. And when I, when I finally realized that's what folks like Pete do when they're leading well, they're, well, you and I are in front of some folks right now that, that gave that person three extra weeks of PTO at company expense. Nobody ever needed to know about it because it was the right thing to do because there was something going on in their life that required you and me to extend an extra measure of grace. That's the covenant side of leading well. It is about sales performance. It's about closing the business. It's managing your customer relationships well. It's having your operations work so that you can deal with the challenge of supply chain constraints and, and employee staffing issues and competitive environment ways that we've never seen before. And it's also treating your people as people first. So 
conviction, competence, character. And then this final thing I see good leaders do is, is they, they are in a covenant relationship with their team members. Pete, that's an awful lot of information. I covered it pretty quickly. Where do you want us to go a little bit deeper? Well, when we talk about conviction and we talk about passion, you can't give something you don't have. Yeah. Yeah. So have you bought in? Are yeah. you asking your people to buy into something that you haven't bought into? Right, right. That that's one of my well, starting places. And let me let me say something about that because Pete, I, you know, you and I are just getting to know each other right now. I I get the sense that you're kind of a one of those guys that goes through life asking forgiveness afterwards instead of permission ahead of time, and you're on the tips of your toes, the balls of your feet. You're just a passionate kind of person, and so I think there's a certain good portion of the population that just wakes up ready to shake the trees a little bit. I want to talk to the other people that are listening in right now because, because passion can build. And let me share with you, in fact, a very personal example. I've been doing leadership development for 25 years now. One of the young men that I got to invest some time in a couple of decades ago grew and grew and just became a colleague and a dear lifetime family friend, in fact. And he has grown his franchise business to be one of the largest franchise businesses in the world and a dear friend of mine. And about 12 years ago, he asked me if we would join his franchise network. Pete, we own today five year-round indoor child-friendly swim schools, Aquatot swim schools. I'm a multi-unit franchisee. We've got five schools here in Central Texas. We've been doing this for a dozen years. Pete, to be real honest, 15 years ago, saving kids around water was not one of my passions, just to be real honest. Now, I grew up, I was a high school swimmer, and we're big boat people. We love to be out on the lake and things like that, but, but it wasn't one of my passions. Pete, I'll tell you, 12 years later, I know every year and how many kids drown every year in Texas. We've got one of the worst records in the in the country. We compete with Florida and California every year for the worst award any state would want to win. And Pete, I will tell you, we did more than 150,000 swim lessons last year at our five swim schools. I will go to my grave proud of the fact that we are helping kids get safe in the water. So on the one hand, there's a little pitch for get your kids safe in the water. On the other hand, here's somebody who 15 years ago didn't have passion, but I dived into the organization. I got hands around the realities of what was going on. And as I immersed myself in the swim school industry, that passion bubbled up. So I want to encourage your listeners today that you don't have to be like Pete. You don't have to be necessarily one of these people that is always challenging the status quo. Dive in and do something with all of your heart and all of your conviction. Passion will grow. That that conviction thing comes out of some people. Others of us, we can we can put it inside when we try to do something with excellence and invest our focus and invest our energy. 15 years ago, I wasn't passionate about what I'm passionate about today. That's, uh, that's great. You know, and, and the opposite, um, uh, the, 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 well, the same exact principle, but in, 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 in our time frame, if you're in sales and you don't feel like going out, if you're a guy, Shower, shave, put your best clothes on, yeah. get out, and you make that first call, no matter how bad you feel. And I guarantee you, as bad as you felt on that first call, you'll feel better. And then by the end of the day, 
most of the time, you will be like, I am so glad I got my butt going and I got out because I feel a lot better now. Uh, So I I think it works in the long term and I think it works in the short term. It's the same idea of get in there and make something happen and you will will catch up. Well, and and, and that's why we, you know, I I talk about... um, if you and I are working well with our teams, we're investing skills and behaviors in them. We're giving them the skills, up, upping their skills. We're doing role plays with them. We're going on calls. We're challenging them with pricing objections. We're working on their skills. We're also working on their behaviors of showing them how do you manage a, a, a Rolodex or a CRM or whatever you're using for your client. We're, um, we, you're also working on mindset. Just what you said, Pete, where you know what? Don't, you don't have to bring 100% to the table. All day long, bring a hundred percent right now and let momentum build. That's the thing I want to communicate about conviction and passion is start where you're at, put one foot in front of the other. As you said, Pete, it's, it's a, it's a incremental, it's an incremental war that we're winning one, one step at a time. Now, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I have heard that from many, many salespeople, um, over the years that um, you know, I'm, I'm not like you. I, I'm not, I, I don't have this passion. I don't have this energy. Like you don't have to be like me though. The world is well served with just one. You know, we, don't, we don't need any more. With really. Wouldn't uh, want anymore. What, what, well, well, one might be more than enough. I, ask my wife or she, she might, yeah, she might yeah. uh, tell you about that. Well, I love that about conviction. Yeah. I want to go to competence and then I'm going to skip to character and I'm going to tell you why. Because I have a story of a boss of mine who's no longer with us, John Clark. And God rest his soul. Uh, I only worked for John for a very short period of time. Um, but he always signed his emails the same way. And he always said it to me as well constantly and thanks for all you do diff comma john recognizing that you're putting forth effort and that that effort is recognized is huge to your people it's huge now you might be a really high d highly driven and you don't need that recognition. You don't need, you don't really care about it. Yeah, yeah. Except maybe at the end of the year at the banquet. But I mean, daily, you don't care. You're just like, get out of my road. I, yeah, I got to yeah. go make something happen. But for many who are not high Ds and they're more relational, and those could be the best salespeople in the world if they're properly coached. Right. The fact that you care about them as human being and that you treat them as more than a number and that you are not behaving like Mike Weinberg describes as a desk jockey, just managing numbers. Uh, John, and I only worked for him for a few months. We accomplished a lot in a very short period of time. I couldn't tell you one metric we ever discussed. He knew what he had on his hands. He, yeah. He knew he had, he knew he had a busted Bronco and he wasn't about to slow this guy down. He never brought up numbers ever with me. Do you know what he brought up? He brought up 
why? And Pete, is it okay if I ask this penetrating question to uncover this need? And I'm like, of course, John. What what he was really saying is, Pete, you don't go deep enough. You just want to close the sale, right? But but he never said the the negative. And and so yeah. this kind of goes to competence and it goes to character, overlaps yeah. into character because he was truly thankful uh, to be in a position to coach people and he did it extremely well. Uh, yeah. You know, sometimes the hardest people to coach are the best, right? Because yeah. they... They don't want to be coached, yeah. right? Get out of my way. Get out of my way. Just get out of my road. Let me let me go. But sometimes yeah. slowing that guy or that gal down just just a little bit to make them think, just yeah. a little bit yeah. to make them think, it makes them so much more effective. Well, and that phrase he used with you, it sounds like a number of years ago now, thanks for all you do. I, I got to tell you, I think probably in these post-COVID you know, we're living in a new reality. And part of that for your listeners and my team members, the managers that work underneath me, the retail world has changed. And particularly at the entry level positions that we are all hiring into, we've got to understand that, um, our people are coming to work already beat up. Life yeah. is hard. It's just hard all around them. And for them to bring their a game to work when they feel like they're fighting with limited resources, traffic was bad, they didn't get the sleep they needed last night, the, the kids were unhappy, uh, the grocery store was out of whatever, 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 whatever. We all are kind of at our wits end these days. And, and to have somebody make that consistent deposit, thanks for what you do. I, I'm having to be reminded of that with the 20 something and 30 somethings that I'm managing because, well, Pete, you and I know this because we both spend time thinking about leadership development. It doesn't matter what study you look at. They're all over the internet. It seems the best leaders are finding ways to, to deposit positive affirmations at, at a ratio of five to one over those hard conversations. Now, you and I need to talk about holding hard conversations because any good leader, the truth of the matter is managers get easy conversations. Leaders get hard conversations. We've got to dive into that a little bit later in our time together. But as you alluded to, and let me even clarify, the the way leaders get away with having hard conversations that don't end up blowing up is they've been making deposits all along the way. They've been finding ways to reinforce. Thanks for all you do. Things like that. Recognizing the big things and the little things when their salespeople, when their operational people, when their subordinate managers bring their game in today's environment, um, they're already limping into work. And anything you and I can do to let them know how much we appreciate the work they're doing is one of those deposits Against which we're we're going to have to make withdrawals at some point, right? There's there's always hard conversations, but but have you and I made enough deposits that when we need to make a withdrawal, it'll at least feel like a withdrawal? Is there a positive balance there? I think that's that's the thing that your mentor did so well is is he was making those deposits along the way. I think in 2023 and beyond, that's probably more important than it's ever been before. Yeah, I I would agree with with every bit of that, and 
we as leaders are going to be judged on our ability to have difficult conversations with a successful outcome. Now, we don't always have a great outcome, but there are things that we can do. And the best thing to have a good outcome is to be making deposits, you know, in a five to one ratio or a 10 to one ratio, making deposits. And and when we do have to have a hard conversation and, and we might as well just get into it. Um, when you're having a hard conversation, the old easiest way is the sandwich way, but there's a lot more to it yeah. than that. Not just so what the leaders in my mind, Dr. Andy, that are more successful at this, the stress point in all of this is character. Yeah. How do they think about yeah. their leader? Do I respect this person? Do I view this person as somebody who believes in me? Yeah. Somebody who's on my team? Because if they believe in me and they're on my team and he or she says something that I don't necessarily like, but it might be correct and I might need to make a change, I'm more willing to accept that from somebody that I believe has character and cares about me as a human being. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'll let yep. you go. That, well, it, I mean, you and I are resonating so much on this, Pete. Um, he, here's the thing I would say. What you just said, I'm pretty convinced that leaders can't learn this by going to an MBA class. I, I think the, the only way you learn what you just said, Pete, is by failing at it, I suspect. And maybe that's just because of my own experience, but I've talked to a whole bunch of other leaders and and I don't think you get good at hard conversations until you've worked your way through being bad at hard conversations. I had one of my, I had a good, a very good salesperson working for me years and years ago. Um, uh, Gwen was one of my top performers. Now, um, Gwen brought some issues with her. Part of what made her a top performer is she, she just was quick. She, she, she was competitive. She wanted to win. She wanted to be in the front of the room. Um, she, She also was one of those salespeople that I had more post-sale customer service issues because of Gwen than almost anybody else. Gwen, Gwen, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm resonating with you. You know that. that. It's almost a pattern. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, um, Gwen, um, Gwen had a temper. She had a, she had an anger management issue and she, she, she blew off a major engagement that my entire sales team was involved with and, and she, she messed it all up. She, she just destroyed our opportunity that would have been a big enterprise opportunity for all of us. My boss told me that was a final straw and, and he, he told me, you got to let Gwen go. I fought for Gwen's job because I knew there was some good in there. Um, but then I was a, I was a new sales manager. And again, Pete, one of the lessons, some of the people that are listening in, need to learn today is, you know, when we're having a hard conversation with one of our salespeople, you know, they think we're being mean. This is something we enjoy doing. You know, I didn't sleep the night before I had this hard conversation with Gwen. I I think she slept like a baby. I didn't sleep at all. I'm arranging my desk to make sure that everything's okay when she comes in. She walks into my office. I saved her job. 
I got my boss to give her one more chance, but I was just doing a write-up and she was going to be on a very tight, very tight rope. And before I could even start, Gwen started swearing at me. She quit on the spot, swearing at the company, swearing at me. She was in tears. She was yelling. She was doing her typical Gwen thing. And here's the lesson I learned about that. I just am in shock, Pete. And it is Monday morning. She stomps out of my office, swearing at the top of her lungs. The next thing I have scheduled is my Monday morning huddle with my sales team. Here's what we're going to accomplish this week. And here's what we've got to be looking forward to. They're all out in the front office waiting for me to come out. Gwen marches through all of them, full of invectitudes against all of us, right? I'm this sales manager. I got like 10 people out there waiting for me to save the day. Pete, I, I walked out there and before I could say anything, one of my other good salespeople, Todd, who's still to this day a friend, Todd said, well, what took you so long? Todd thought that I'd finally fired her because they all knew that she needed to go. They thought I'd finally had the hard conversation I needed to have with Gwen. And, and Pete, I wish I could tell you, I mean, I see you laughing. You're laughing at me right now and I deserve to be laughed at. I wish there was a good moral to the story. Gwen not only quit that day, she went to work for one of our competitors and took business from us to spite us. Here's the lesson I learned, if there's any lesson in that, avoiding hard conversations wasn't just bad for Gwen and me. It impacted the rest of the team. They they knew what Andy wasn't manning up to do. They were They were waiting for me. When Todd said, well, what took you so long? He thought I had finally done the right thing. He, he didn't know Gwen quit. I had wimped out one more time. For me, that, that was one of those early lessons. In fact, I call it the Gwen axiom. Here's the Gwen axiom, Pete. Just because they're hurt doesn't mean they're right. I needed to have earlier on hard conversations with Gwen so that it didn't come to this. Um, and, so, and again, you know, I, <laughs> The reason I'm, I'm laughing, Dr. Andy, I'm not laughing at you. I'm with you. I, I made all the same mistakes. I saved people's jobs. I threw my body in front of oncoming right. buses to save people and almost lost my job in yeah, the process yeah. and got hit with the same stuff. That, so I'm laughing. Yeah. Because I'm the, I did the same stuff. Well, and so I think if there's a point for the folks that are dialed in today, listening to us live and on the podcast afterwards. Um, you you got to have those hard conversations up front. This shouldn't come as a surprise. I know our producer toward the end of our time together is going to put up a resource that I have available, the three imperative leadership conversations. One of them, Pete, is how to hold a hard conversation. And I've got a planner built into there. Pete, I, I had a, a somebody like you several years ago ask me, hey, Dr. Andy, can you can you tell my team what are some best practices for holding hard conversations. And I went out and did some research. Pete, I, I wish, I wish I could have found the three things that are the secrets to holding hard conversations. There's actually 13. There's like a baker's dozen of best practices, things like, you know, don't die on the small hills. At times you got to make sure that you've, you've got a witness, uh, get your ducks in a row. If somebody signs up and downloads that uh, three imperative leadership conversations, part of the guidance you get are the very things you and I would train our managers underneath us. If they're going to have hard conversations, you know, they got to do their work ahead of time. This is, this is something that needs to be thought of and well prepared for. You've got to find a way to help that employee have a little bit of a win. Remember the whole goal in, in, in the post COVID 2023 and beyond world that we're living in is deposits in addition to withdrawals. 
it's uh, Pete, unfortunately, I think the world is different. I will rewind that. I'm not even going to say unfortunately, because there were some bad things. When you and I first started working 25 years ago, because I said so was enough. But I'm not even sure it was enough, you know, a generation or a generation and a half ago. It is not enough today. We've got to be making those deposits so that we can make the withdrawals. I want to unpack uh, Todd's comment just a little bit more. Um, so really, and Dr. Andy, what you should have said is, yeah, I did. But you didn't because that's not you. You probably said, she quit on me. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, I see a lot of quotes on the internet. Some of them are slightly different than others. But the, the essence of it is tolerating poor performance from team members is the greatest way to demotivate the other team members. So yeah. when we as managers, um, we want to be uh, accommodating to a, to a degree, to a point, but you can't, when it starts to infringe yeah. on the, the, the mental well-being and focus of the rest of the team, that's, that's just a bridge too far for me. Yeah. When it starts to impact and, and I start to see maybe somebody else who starts to come in late because you've allowed this, that now you're starting to, it's starting to unravel a little bit. Yeah. So what, let's get into this having the hard conversations. You know, yeah. we've all heard the sandwich, you know, give a compliment, give the correction, give another compliment. I agree with that just in general, broad psychology. Um, if someone's working with us, they probably have a lot of good attributes and a lot of good characteristics and, and pointing those out at the same time as needing to elevate others that are important is not a bad strategy, but how would you do it? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think one of the things you're, you're reminding all of us is just how, how challenging this is. And, you know, to your point a minute ago, and really the, 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 the lesson I learned was the other eight or 10 people on my sales team, they, you know, they knew Gwen was playing me and it was impacting my ability to lead them well. I think part of the challenge now is, you know, Jack Welsh, a generation and a half ago said, you know, I'm going to promote the A's. I'm going to put the B's on plan and I'm going to fire the C's. And, you know, maybe a generation and a half ago that worked. You and I are, are in front of some folks today who, you know what? At times I'm just glad to have somebody in the shop so I can unlock the door this morning or have a key holder tonight. To be real honest, I, I've got some people working in my organization that Jack Walsh should say, these guys are B minuses. Why are they even around? And I say, because. It's the best I can find right now. Uh, it, it's a challenge. We, you know, we, and, and so I, I think that this is why you and I've agreed for 45 minutes now. Leadership is not in opposition to management, but it's different than management because leadership requires, dare I say, discernment and wisdom because we are stuck at times with B players. We don't get to pick and choose. Uh, at times in a retail environment where we're having people work for us that we are the ones that are having to train them on work ethic. We're the ones that are having to let them know, yeah, 
it, it's, it feels good to show up on time 10 days in a row so that the entire pay period, you're not getting docked. I mean, that's the reality of your world and my world at times, Pete. And so the, the balance of holding hard conversations in the midst of a world where the truth of the matter is a lot of our employees, they never learned how to have hard conversations. Simon, Simon Sinek, one of those million copy YouTubers, he would say they didn't learn it at home. And so it's your and my job to teach him. Well, I'm not sure I fully agree it's your and my job to teach him. But the truth of the matter is, if I've got a B minus player on my team and I'm looking for an A player, I may have to decide it's it's my opportunity to help that person go from B minus to B to B plus to A minus to A. That requires, as as you and I said, discernment and wisdom. One of the core values of our business is extend grace to the teachable. Mm. And there's a couple of powerful components in that. Extend grace means I'm going to let you make mistakes. And and in fact, I'm not going to let you just make that mistake once. You might make it several times. If you are teachable, I will continue to extend grace. When I get my, my haunches up as a leader is when I see somebody digging their heels in. That's, that's when it becomes uh, an issue in my mind. And so Pete, to be real honest, at times I've had to add some of my other managers. Hey guys, trust the process. Everybody knows there's an issue with this person over here. I've got to let the rest of my team know that we're working. And if you trust Dr. Andy enough, trust me with the process with this person. And, and then Pete, again, at the end of the day, I'm going to, I'm going to go to my grave knowing that I gave people more chances than they deserved. I spent more money on people than I should have. I'd, I'd rather be known as a person who was too gracious rather than too miserly. Is there a cost to that? Yeah. Yeah. There is. There's a, there's a emotional cost that Pete, you're nodding and I'm nodding. You and I both know there's a financial cost to that. We have, we've spent tens of thousands of dollars, both of us in our career doing the right thing for somebody who didn't do the right thing by us. Yep. That's, that's leadership, Pete. That's that, that takes us from character and conviction. But I think at the end of the day, you and I have to decide my job is to make the world a better place. And if that person will let me invest in them, some of them are going to get it. I've got a couple of people working for me that have been with me for more than 10 years now. And, and they will say this job wasn't just the best job. This, this, career has changed my life. Mm. Hey, I'll take a couple of misses for a couple of wins like that. Amen. Amen. Dan, Dan Jordan, what if they are not teachable? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dan, can we just delete that comment, please? It's just, we're what having if, a fun conversation here. What if they are not teachable? Yeah. You know, listen, I've, I've told people, I told our recent hire, find new and creative ways to screw up and you'll have a job forever with me. As long as you, if you screw up the same way three times in a row, you're probably going to be yeah. gone. If you want to know how to end it, that's how to end it with me. Three times in a row, yeah. you don't make any effort to to change, and you just keep screwing up the same way. Yeah, you'll 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 get gone. Yeah. But if you can find new and creative ways of screwing up, I'm going to be patient with you. Yeah. So, um, you know, Pete, I, was, I was working with a Fortune 500 leader. Gosh, a number of years ago now, one of her employees blew a deal so badly it cost them a million dollars. Now, we're all small retailers. I, I couldn't afford a million dollar loss. 
but this was a Fortune 500 company. And this, this employee cost them a million dollars in, in customer revenues. And she said, why would I let you go now? You just learned a million dollar lesson. You are way too valuable for me to let you go. Well, I think that's her, her take on what you just said. And I think that rule of three, Dan, becomes a good rule. The only thing I'd add to what Pete said is there's a difference between skill and will. If somebody doesn't know how to do something, I'll give them a lot of patience. If somebody says, I'm not going to do that, and they cross their arms and lean back, you know, less patience should be extended, I think. Uh, again, Dan, I, I think all of us should put our heads down on our pillow at night saying, if I made a mistake, I made a mistake of being too kind rather than being too harsh. And we just have to recognize there's a price to pay for that. Some point, if they're not teachable, you know, that's when Gwen walked out and Todd thought I finally had gamed up to do the right thing. He thought I recognized Gwen wasn't teachable. No, I was still trying to be a nice guy. There's a difference between being kind and being nice. And again, that's that leadership discernment or, or wisdom that I don't, I don't think you learn from a book. I think you learn by making mistakes and figuring it out. Well, I love and the idea yeah, of yeah, going yeah, to a yeah, workshop yeah. and figuring some of it out too. Yeah, yeah. I, I really do. Um, so let's talk about that. Tell, talk to me about your workshops. Well, I typically or do anything you want to do. Talk yeah. About. <laughs> uh, when I get to invest in a, in a leadership team, I, I typically get to go deep. I've got a workshop that goes deeply into these four leadership necessities that we talked about. And it's a hands on workshop, Pete, where you, you, um, you just take a, a team and you, you go deep into what are the, what are the areas of passion? In fact, for small businesses, a lot of times part of what I help them do is work on or refine their mission statement, their mission and value and, and, and core values. What are they going to work on? Why would somebody want to work for you rather than somebody else? Uh, and then the, the, the second area we work on is that area of competence. And as you and I talked about half an hour ago, leadership competence is different than frontline competence. And we talk about balancing risk and making decisions without all the information and and being the one where the buck stops here and the outcome of those hard conversations sit on your shoulders. We go deeply in this workshop into leadership conversations. It's case study driven and we take a look at at sales coaching. I've got a coaching model that that I introduced called the fast coaching model, a monthly coaching conversation that focuses a a, a team members' performance, helps them assess where they're at and, and agree on next steps to move forward and then develop those steps. So, so in my perfect world, I get to work with a sales team or an organizational team for a half a day, peeling back the layers of what makes a good manager become a high-performing leader. Along the way, then, I oftentimes offer uh, uh, self-assessments. I partner with the Wiley Group out of Minneapolis to offer DISC assessments. You and I've talked about that. Yeah, there's the fast coaching planner that that's part of that uh, of that training that I just talked about. Chris, your producer just put that up. Uh, and then when I get to come back uh, and meet with them again, Pete, I, I will typically oftentimes have them take a self-assessment, either a, a sales self-assessment or a leadership self-assessment where they can hold up the mirror, answer some questions for themselves. And then we get together in a workshop setting and peel back the layers. If you're a high D 
or a high I or a high S or a high C, or if you've got D with I tendencies, what does that mean? Or C with D tendencies, what are your strengths and what are the areas you need to be uh, aware of and careful with? And so I typically get to invest deeply into organizations through a series of workshops over perhaps, uh, you know, six months to, to 18 months. A lot of that ends up leading then to one-on-one coaching with some of the top sales performers or some of the sales managers I work with or organizational managers where we will take a look at their self-assessments and the action plans they built during our time together and really work one-on-one on how do you implement that now? You're a high C trying to work in an organization of high I's. What are the strengths you bring to them and what are the things that you need to be aware of? How can you help that uh, organization be more successful and how can you sleep better at night? So, so that the, the four leadership necessities workshop, the leadership styles workshop. When I, when I get to do what I love to do, Pete, and again, I, I catch, I've got kind of the same passion around leadership that you do. In some respects, if I could even say, this is what I was born to do, my, my calling. I'm kind of like the blues brothers on a mission from God. When I get to work with teams, I go deep into, let's pull the, pull the layers back and figure out what does it take to be not just a manager, but a high performing leader? The simple taxonomy that I'm not even going to say I developed it. I really observed it, but, but are you a person of conviction and passion? Do you have a, 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 a an eye that looks out into the future? Are you a person who is developing the competencies that are required to make you a leader, not just uh, an effective frontline producer? Are you a person rich in character? And do you recognize the cost of covenant with the people you lead? We, we go deep into all four of those. Typically, it's a half-day workshop, Pete, that I deliver. I just delivered it for 175 uh, financial service professionals last week here in Texas. And, and uh, there's some spinoff work that I've been asked to do in terms of coaching and development work. When I get to work with folks like you have on this call, um, helping them know that they're not just a manager, but they're becoming a high-performing leader. Pete, I can put my head down on the pillow at night saying that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Never get it right. Never get it perfect. Leadership is, you know, we call it a soft skill. It's the hardest skill of all. And so we never get it right. But Pete, that's that's my passion is helping folks like you and me figure out this leadership equation in a world that's that's a challenging world right now. You know, we're more than a thousand days into the universe changing and you and I both been around long enough to know this wasn't just a three-year change. This was a this was a, a permanent change. The world has shifted and, and hiring, training, recruiting, retaining top talent is more challenging than it's ever been. People don't want to work for managers. They will work for leaders. And that's what you and I've got to be doing. So, Andy, thank you so much. I mean, this, this was great. I've got I started off with a blank piece of paper and I just ended up with all kinds of stuff. I mean, what a mind map you've built there. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, I got coached up pretty good, Dr. Andy. Listen, somebody that has watched this and they're saying, you know what? I want to talk to this guy. I want, I want to learn more about what he does. How do people get in touch with you, Dr. Andy? Yeah. Well, Chris, your producer has got my stuff up on the bottom of the screen there. If in fact you click on that link on the top of my website, neelyleadership.com, we can schedule a free leader to leader call. It'd be a great place to start. Uh, fill out that form to get the three imperative leadership conversations ebook. That will also add you to my blog distribution. 
Pete, I put out a monthly leadership blog and, and, uh, and so that would be a great way. And I would be, I would be honored and privileged to spend a bit of time on the phone with any one of the folks. Dan, thanks for your comments. Others, thanks for your comments. Hire for will, train for skill. That's, that's, you know, I, that's a leadership truism 101 that all of us need to, to work on. I just think it's more challenging, uh, in today's environment probably than it's ever been. So. And- Dr. Andy, how do our people get the free resource that you mentioned? If they go to leadershipmaterials.com, okay. there's yeah. a, a link there where they can, they can just download that ebook. They'll give me their email information. Uh, and then if they want to make a phone call with me, if they simply go to my website, leadership, neelyleadership.com, right at the top there. In fact, Chris has got it back up once again. I'm available for free leader, leader con conversation that links directly to my calendar of open spots. I'm, I'm on the road a great deal for the next 10 days, Pete. So there may not be any calendar appointments immediately, although there'll be a few here and there, but they can get hold of me one-on-one for a phone call and they can get that free resource at uh, leadershipmaterials.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. And, uh, uh, I would love to do this again. Uh, you know, uh, I would too, Pete. I, I sent some love stuff I was saying. Yeah, I we, think we I've got a partner in crime in the here. In the uh, five story. So, I mean, there's so much we can yeah. get into. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Thank you again. You bet. My privilege. So glad we got connected, Pete. And I look forward to doing this again with you in the near future. You bet. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.